What a lovely blur you all are. <laughs> Exodus chapter 17. It's a little bit uh, echoey. Exodus 17. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 17, verse 8, all the way through chapter 18. And I just want to start by reading chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. So if you want to follow me as I read verses 9 through 11, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it together. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. And that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Father, I pray that we would finish this day, this time together, being able to say with Jethro, now I know. I know that God, you are who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that everything that you say, you do. And we ask, Lord, that as we get into this together, this short time of being in your word together, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that we'd understand the truth that's in the text, and Lord, your spirit would lead us in how we ought to respond to this. We don't want to be those who just hear your word. We want to be those that do it because we believe, God, that you love us and anything you call us to is good. So we pray you just bless this time together and we pray it in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, right on cue, well done. I'm going to read another three verses. This is from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. It's on the screen. This is God promising Abram. This is when God calls Abram, before he has any descendants, before he and his wife Sarai, that's what they were named at first, have, have been able to have children. He makes this promise. Listen. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family... And from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this promise that God made to Abram is seeing its fruition in what God's doing with this people Israel. Israel are these descendants of Abram. And even though, as God had told Abram, or would tell Abram about three chapters after this that we just read, that, 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 is that his people, his descendants, would go into slavery for 400 years, he said he would pull them out of slavery, would deliver them from that, and then the rest of his promise would come to pass. They would be a blessing. And so we're in a situation here where we're in a very kind of a hinged place in the book of Exodus. We've seen God has already brought the Israelites out of bondage, out of slavery. 
They're coming out of that. But they haven't quite got to Sinai where God's going to give them his law. God's going to reveal himself to them through his law. He's going to reveal the covenant he wants to make with them through his law. But the, the truth is, when we look at these different covenants that are in the scripture, in fact, what we just read in Genesis 12, that's what we call the Abrahamic covenant, that these covenants don't replace each other. They build on each other. And so what we see in these two chapters, in fact, it's so obviously topical because some of the stuff that's, that's written in these two chapters or this section that we're going to look at today, some of it seems like it should be after the law. There's debate whether or not it should be. But topically, it fits before they get to Sinai. Because here's the reality. Moses wants the readers to know, Moses wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know, that God keeps his word. And so what they're going to see here, what they're experiencing in the last part of chapter 17 and all of chapter 18, is they're seeing the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in their, in their eyes, before their eyes. They're seeing that those who curse God's people are cursed. Those who bless God's people are blessed. And as God's people walk in wisdom, walk in what God's called them to, they become a blessing to the whole world. So let's look at these promises and see how they, they, they come out of these verses. So chapter 8, verse 16, here's what we read. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Raphadim. Starts with a conflict. The Amalekites. Now these are just a, these are, this is a tribe, a kind of a, semi-nomadic tribe that decides we don't like these millions of people passing through lands, and so we're going to come after them. And, and, and we'll give you a, a sort of a, a spoiler alert. Uh, they went, the Israelite wins, because look at verse 14. Drop down to verse 14. The Lord says to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. We'll say why in a minute. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses... Uh, built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, the reason I wanted to start with this, it's important that we see that this conflict is not just a tribal conflict. This is actually the Amalekites attacking the most vulnerable of Israel. We know that because this is how Moses recants the story in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Listen, he writes, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. Who lags behind? Older people, especially infirmed people, women and children. And they had no fear from God. Now, now, what's going on here is, is God is kind of cursed the Amalekites because they were willing to attack the most vulnerable. And God is acting as if, listen, you attack the most vulnerable, you attack me. That's good news for us who feel vulnerable. That God cares for us. He wants to protect us. In fact, the ESV version, the, teaching, the version we're teaching from, I, I don't think says it as clear as the NIV. Listen to verse 16 in the NIV, it says, he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. In other words, God says, you attack my people. You persecute my people. And you're putting your, you're arrogantly putting your hand on my throne. 
I'm not going to put up with that. Now, this is really important for Jesus' followers to think about. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, he sends us out as sheep among wolves. It's a picture of being vulnerable. Jesus doesn't send us out as warriors to conquer the earth. I wish that was the case. He says, no, I want you to go out in weakness. I want you to be sheep among wolves. I want you to be vulnerable. And I don't want you to fear. Because I'm going to use whatever happens to you for my glory and your good. And in that vulnerability, I'm saying something about my character. And know this, no one, no one gets away with picking on God's people. No one does. This is what we're seeing, a fulfillment of, I will curse him who curses you. In fact, let's see how God overcomes in verse 9 of chapter 17. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as, as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up uh, his hand, Israel prevailed. When he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. Now, this is us being introduced to Joshua, who we'll see later on, actually takes Moses' place. Uh, this is the first time we've been introduced to, well, we, we've heard of Aaron, Mo Moses' brother, but we've not really heard of her before this. And so and, and in one sense, who they are is not as important as what's happening. And here's what's happening. God's, uh, Moses says to Joshua, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to that hill. I'm going to hold up the staff of God. Do you remember from last week what the staff of God represents? The judgment of God. Right? Remember, remember, remember what we saw last week, right? Uh, Moses says, okay, here's how God, or God says to Moses, here's how I'm going to deal with the complaining of my people. I want you to strike. I'm going to stand the rock, and I want you to strike the rock. Take the rod of judgment and strike the rock. It was this picture of Christ. Now he says, take that rod of judgment, and I want you to hold it up. And so you get this picture of Moses on the hilltop holding this up. I want you guys all put your hands up like this. Seriously, just keep them up there. Everyone, hold your hands up there. Let's see how long you can last. All right. No, you can put them down. That would be mean. You can put them down. I don't want anybody to have a heart attack. That would be bad. But if you've ever done that before, it's, it, it gets tiring pretty fast. And so he's holding up the... The, 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 he's holding up the, this rod of God, and he's doing this for two reasons. One, it's like, it's just to say God judges the situation. God judges those who pick on the vulnerable. God judges those who, 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 who wrought injustice. God judges this. This is good news. It's good news, listen, because if God doesn't deal with injustice, injustice never really gets done. If there isn't an ultimate authority who can deal with injustice, we're stuck with it. The good news is we're not. It's a temporary thing. So that's one thing. But also, you know what, why the Bible talks about the raising of hands? You may have seen people worshiping today with their hands raised. You know what that is? It's a position of prayer. And really, that's what we're doing when we're singing songs together, aren't we? We're, we're singing our prayers to God, hopefully all in agreement that, God, we believe you are this way, and we need you to work in our lives. So what's Moses doing? He's saying, I'm going to stand up here, and, and, and I'm going to persist in prayer, but also declare God's judgment over injustice. That's what he's going to do. So as he does this, what happens? Verse 12. Of course, he gets tired. His arms go down. They start to lose. So what happens in, in verse, uh, verse 12? It says, but Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. 
while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek with his people uh, and his people with the sword. Now, I love this. Because this is not just practical help. This is not just being smart. Okay, you sit on the stone, and then we'll stand here and hold up each of your hands. There was that practical help. But this is also what we see, mutual faith. This is Aaron and her believing what God said to Moses was true. God says, you hold up my justice, my judgment. You seek me, I will bring forth the victory. I'll do it. They believed that, and they, they, they partnered with him in this. Listen, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Again, Jesus says, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, these verses make us nervous if we've been burned by guys on religious television. We think, I don't want to be with those guys saying, just trust me, send me your money, my jet will mean your blessing. We don't like that stuff, and rightly so. But it doesn't mean this isn't true. What it means is we've got to know how to apply what this, this says. Let me ask you a question. When we're singing together, and we're asking God to be in our midst, to make himself known, he is with us, of course, always. He's, he's, God's omnipresent. But we're asking God to make himself known to his people. If we're asking that and believing he wants to do that together, what's going to happen? He's going to make himself known. But let's be honest, also, we're often raising our hands and not really believing what we're singing. And therefore, we don't really see the victory the same way. Now, let's believe that God's going to curse the enemy who wants to distract us, who wants to destroy us, who wants to keep us from believing what God says to us. Let's believe God's going to destroy him, and let's seek God the way Moses did. So, I will curse him who curses you, God says, and he does it when it comes to the Amalekites. But also, listen, God says, I will bless him who blesses me. Let's look at how God, uh, or how Moses interacts with Jethro, his father-in-law, chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword, uh, the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, and where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, what's happening? We don't know when Moses sent his wife Zipporah back to his father-in-law's house with his two kids. We don't know exactly when this happened, but they're having now a family reunion. This is Jethro hearing of what God has done for the Israelites and wanting to bless Moses by bringing his family back to him. I mean, in all seriousness, what Moses was doing is pretty serious, crazy, scary stuff, so you don't blame him for saying wife and kids go stay with father-in-law. You'd be much more secure there. But still, when it's time, when there's victory, he's blessing them by bringing them back together. So Jethro is going to say, I, I want you to be blessed because I've heard what God does. So how does Moses respond to this? He blesses Jethro. Look at verse 6. And he sent 
word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to meet you with your wife and your two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then Moses, listen, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had he, that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro, verse 9, rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, now notice what's going on. How is Moses blessing Jethro? He's telling Jethro, this is what God did. Now, we just read in chapter 17, didn't we, how it says, in, in, in verse 13, it says, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. But then afterwards, it's, God says to Moses, write, it, write what happened in the memorial and recite it in the ears of Joshua. It's kind of like, make sure Joshua doesn't think he's the one who did this. And when Moses recounts the story, when Moses recounts the story, who gets all the glory? God does. And Moses doesn't have to exaggerate. We do that sometimes. Let's be honest, we can stretch the story to give God the glory, you know what I'm saying? It was the most amazing thing that happened. I needed pickles. And I walked into the store, and guess what was there? Pickles. But they weren't just any pickles, the kind of pickles, they were right there. Yeah, okay, that's good. Every good gift's from God, but, you know, come on. Moses didn't have to stretch the story to give God the glory. He could talk about the hardship, he could talk about what happened, but he gave God the glory for what God did. He emphasized to Jethro, this is what God did. That's where the blessing comes. That's how we bless people. We don't bless people by saying, you know, since I've been a Christian, I've accomplished this, 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 and this. We bless people by saying, this is what God has done for me. This is how God drew me to himself. This is how God showed me my need for Jesus. This is how God brought me to a faith that I knew I could trust Jesus. This is how God continues to show me how much I need him and how he meets my needs every day through Jesus. This is what God has done for me. That's how you bless people. You tell them about the God of all blessings. Jethro's, Moses is blessing Jethro by declaring this good work. Verse 10, so Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has, de- has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord has, is greater than all gods because in this, the, in this affair they have dealt arrogantly with his people. And Jethro, notice, Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God and Aaron came with all the elders of, uh, of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What's happening? What's happening here is God is blessing. God's people are actually blessing one another in God's presence. Now, now I, I want you to see this for what it is. Because God has made a promise to Abram. Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you. God did a radical work to deliver Israelite, Abraham's descendants, from Egypt. God is bringing them to, to the mountain of God. The, he's bringing them to Sinai where they're going to hear the, the, the law of God. It's going to kind of set them apart from every other nation. They're going to get this, right? He's promised this. Jethro hears it and says, man, I, I want to bless, bless you because I can see God's blessing you. And Moses says, no, no, I want to bless you by telling you how great God is, not how great we are. 
And then what do they end up doing? Let's bless each other. <laughs> let's bless one another. Let, let's, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's eat together. Let's celebrate together the goodness of our God in his presence. Man, does that sound like something you want? Something I want. Where we can be those who bless one another. Why? Because we've been blessed. Why have we been blessed? Because God does what he says. There's a great psalm, Psalm 133, says this. I'm reading just the first and last verses. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. You know what unifies us? When we glorify what God's done for us in Jesus. Our worship styles, we are a diverse church. Our worship styles don't necessarily unify us. Though we, try to, we, we want to all worship God together. Our backgrounds don't always unify us. Even our accents don't always unify us. But our God unifies us because of what he's done for us in Jesus. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there the Lord has commanded blessing life evermore. It's not that unity provides life. It's that unity is the celebration of life that we've been given in Jesus. This is what we celebrate. I will bless him who blesses you, God says. And God does. Now, this last section is a section that, uh, is just, this is like a favorite section of like uh, business leaders and uh, organizers and administrators because it's talking about really practical stuff. And it is really practical advice. In fact, one of the things when I was prepping this week, I was thinking, I'm going to read this to people and go, John, why don't you do this? Because I'm not the greatest administrator in the world. But this is more than that. This is more than just some practical business help or organizational help. This is God showing his people, I have fulfilled my covenant with Abraham, and I'm going to give you another covenant, and I will fulfill that as well. And one builds on the other. And he's preparing them for this. So let, let's see what Jethro does. Let's see what Moses does. Verse 13 says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people. Don't think like you're all going to jail judgment. Think of like discerning what they need as they come to get their needs met. So Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, and he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because of the people, because the people come to me and inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and the other and I make them know the statute of God and his laws. This is one of the reasons they think this might have happened after law, but it's probably just simply more of what, what God's already said to his people. I, I, I want you to follow me and be loyal to me. I want you to keep the Sabbath, the things that have already been revealed, all right? But here's what's going on. Moses is seeking to distribute the right blessing. Our God has revealed himself to us through delivering us from Egypt. Our God has a plan for us. It's to bring us to the promised land. And I want to look at your life and your situation through that lens, through that lens and advise you accordingly. That's the right blessing. But he was doing it the wrong way. He was thinking, i got to do it all. It's all up to me to do it all. So what does uh, Jethro say? Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. 
For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. In other words, Jethro recognizes that Moses has a unique position. Okay, this is why this doesn't directly uh, apply to pastors, by the way, because none of us are like Moses, even if we act like it. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and they must do. Moreover, notice, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and of tens. And let them judge between the peoples at all times every matter they shall bring to you, but any matter, any small, any great matter they shall bring to you, sorry, but any small matter that they, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will burden, uh, bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people, listen, also will go to their place in peace. Any students want to? Tell me what that word for peace is in the Hebrew. Say it. Shalom. Shalom is more than just a nice way to say hello. It does literally mean peace to you, but when the Bible uses the word shalom, especially in the Old Testament, it's the idea of this is how things ought to be. Things as they're intended to be. Now, I want you to, to, to get something, okay? What's happening here is, is quite practical. Jethro is saying to his son-in-law, Moses, Moses, this is not going to work. There's no way you're going to meet the needs of these hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. You can't do it. It's going to be too much for you. So what you need to do is you need to distribute the blessings through the blessed. Who are the blessed ones? How do you know if you're blessed by God? Well, he, he gives a description. You're able, and the word there isn't so much of like your skill set as is about your character. You're able. You're willing to have your character change. You fear God. You're concerned about God's opinion above everybody else's. You're trustworthy. Your yes is yes and your no is no. You hate a bribe. You don't want to be pulled away. See, the blessed are not those necessarily who are the wealthiest or even the most gifted. The blessed are those who say, God, we want to follow after you. Because when we want to follow after you, then we can declare with not just, not just integrity, but with power, our God is the God of blessing. He's blessed us. He's changing us. He's provided for us. He's the one you want to listen to. He's the one you want to follow. Now, Moses... It says in verse 24, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and he made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands and hundreds and of fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times in any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. Moses was wise enough to be humble. And humble enough to recognize wisdom. He knew he was wearing himself out and he thought, I've got to give this stuff away. Now, I'm not saying there's no application to us as servant church. I'm sure there is. There is a little bit different. I want to be clear about this because I, I, I know I'm going to get emails this week about this, this one. People often say to me all the time, John, you just need to delegate. You should delegate. 
And the truth is, every person that I could possibly delegate to you, I have. And we're running out of people to delegate to you. Because here's the difference. Moses, when he said, do something, people jumped and did it. I'm not Moses. I don't expect you just to do whatever I tell you to do. you got to be led by the Holy Spirit. you got to know what God's calling you to do. So I can't demand that you take over responsibility. I can't. I can't. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not looking for pity in this. I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying it's not as simple to say, well, if you just delegated, everything will be fine. It worked for Moses. It'll work for you. It doesn't work that way. We're all in process, all right? So I just, just in case you get an email saying, John, you should do this. You practice what you preach, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. It ain't so simple. But I don't even think this is the main point. The main point is not about how, how great Jethro was as an organizer, as a manager of people. The point is, this is preparing God's people, Israel, for what they're about to do. Because what we're going to see next week is God has a purpose in giving them the Ten Commandments and giving them the law. They are meant to be his specific, distinct people who then, guess what, represent him before the whole world. They're meant, listen, to be those who take the blessing that God's given them. The blessing of choosing them, though they didn't deserve it. The blessing of saving them, though they grumbled and complained. The blessing of fulfilling for them the promises that he's given to them. He's given those blessings. They're meant to take that truth of who God is and say, here's how you're blessed. Know the blessed God. That's what we're going to see when we look into the law. So what's he preparing them for? To do just that. Listen to this. How many of you guys know the story, the Bible story, if you went to Sunday school as a kid or if you've been around church at all, the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000? How many of you guys know that story? Most of you, okay? Great. Listen to this. This is an excerpt from Mark's version of feeding the 5,000. Uh, this is after the, Jesus, the, the disciples say, send him away, Lord. He goes, no, you give him something to eat. And they said, well, we don't have any but five loaves and two fishes. And, and so Jesus says, okay, bring him here. And here's what he does. Listen. Then Jesus commanded all of them to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Sound familiar? And they took five loaves and two fish. Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, said a what? Blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets of broken pieces and the fish. How many disciples? Twelve. How many baskets? Twelve. Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospels, Luke's gospel, all has a few in the 5,000, and they all are meant to draw people's attention back to this in Exodus. When there was a need for distribution, when there was a need for blessing to go out, the blessing had to come from God, had to be multiplied, and then they were all to be involved and giving that blessing out. And guess what happens? They gave out and they got back. Because God's not interested in, in, in glorifying us. He's interested in glorifying himself. Because people don't need us. They need him. And when we give away what God's given us, we actually fulfill his words. We actually know what it means to be a blessing. God does what he says, so he calls us to do what he says. That's what we're supposed to get from this. In you, all the families will be blessed. Who was blessed that day when Jesus fed the 5,000? Every single family. 
Because it even says specifically there was 5,000 men, and the implication is plus their families. Who, who was blessed in Israel when they finally di- distributed the, the, the need to give the blessing of God's word out? Everyone who came. Who is blessed when we receive what God has for us on a Sunday and say, Lord, show me who to give this away to? Whoever you give it away to is blessed, even if they don't like it. See, here's the point God does what he says, therefore, we can do what he says and expect the blessing. Expect God to make himself known. Because that is the blessing. Don't think the blessing is health, wealth, prosperity. As, as great as those things are, the blessing is God himself. God cannot give us anything better than himself. And when we share him with each other, when we receive God's word and we share God's word one to another, guess who's blessed? The person receiving it and the person giving it. That's my job, is to equip you to be a blessing, to give it away. I want you to keep this in mind as we get ready to to go into the law in Exodus. Exodus. 